My name is James Gleason, and I want to welcome you to the weekend teaching ministry of Sunrise Church here in Hillsboro, Oregon. Now, Sunrise is a church devoted to being a safe place to hear a life-changing message. And our vision is to lead people in a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And so every weekend, we share a message of hope from God's Word, the Bible. Now, if you'd like to know more about discovering and growing in a relationship with the God who loves you, please take a moment to visit our website at www.isunrise.com. Now, from there, you can learn how to connect with the God who loves you. And you can learn how to grow with others along the journey of life. You can learn to develop a heart to serve the least, the last, and the lost. And finally, you can learn how to lead others to know Jesus Christ on this journey of disciples making disciples. And so now I invite you to follow along with our weekend message as you discover the heartbeat of God. Hi, Sunrise. This is Pastor James. I want to tell you a little story. A few years ago, our family uh, ran the Dick UK 5K race to support the Boys and Girls Club. We had a really great time doing so. And since that time, Seth, our youngest, has been running more and more. And so I thought it was time that he would enjoy a longer race. So we signed up for the Helvetia Half 10K race. Now, I sat down with him, and I asked him about setting a goal for the race. Most of my goals in races focus on finishing without dying, but I wanted to teach him about how to set a new pace, an actual length of a run where you would carry it all the way through. And since we wanted to finish the 10K in under 60 minutes, that meant we'd have to run a 9.38, which wasn't going to be too bad. It wasn't going to be a problem, but inexperienced runners tear out of the gate so fast they end up losing steam quickly. Now, Seth naturally runs faster than I do, and so I had to get him to slow down to learn to pace himself for the entire length of the race. For the first mile, I had my Nike iPhone app setting our pace, and that kept him slower than he wanted to run. So after one mile, I said to him, all right, go ahead, take off, I'll meet you at the finish line. Well, at the four-mile marker, I saw him on the side of the road bent over with a side ache. I stopped to encourage him and encouraged him to slowly run with me to see that he could get up to pace. And after a mile or so, he actually was running a good pace. And we not only finished our race together, we finished by making our pace time. You know, my friends, our spiritual life is much like that. It's a race that we run. Hebrews 12 says this, Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Hebrews 12, 1 to 2. See, the life of a follower, Jesus, is a life where we're called to live like we're running a race. And we do it with endurance. And that word means to have a consistent, sustaining pace in spite of difficult circumstances. The truth is, friends, we each have a different pace we run in life. You know, I've always lived my life at a fast pace. My pace is much faster than Mary Beth, my wife. Now, we tend to drive life, as it were, at different speeds. I love to speed down the highway of life at 100 miles an hour. She goes a much slower 60. God built me to drive my life fast, and that means not only can I handle the speed, I love it. My wife, though, she can only keep up pace for so long, and early in our marriage, we talked a lot about how God made us different, and we have to honor those differences. At times, I have to slow down for her, and at times, she has to speed up or let me just scream down the road having fun. 
We've had to learn to match speeds at times and at times to let each of us drive our own speed without wearing the other person out. I believe that God has wired a speed for each one of us to run the race of life. And our goal should be to run faithfully at our speed. We shouldn't compare our speed to anybody else's speed. But often we do have to speed up or slow down to match another person's speed. I also believe that we're given different speeds throughout the varying seasons of our lives. Now, when I was in my 20s and I was single, I ran life at a much faster pace. It wasn't just because I was younger either. My singleness gave me more time to devote to ministry, and so I poured everything into it, every waking hour into serving young people. See, I learned that from the Apostle Paul who wrote in 1 Corinthians 7 that being single allows you to pour all of your energies into the ministries, and so I did that. And I also realized Paul wrote in the same passage that once I was married, my energy was going to be divided, and that's true. Then when we had children, uh, my divided energy made it even more difficult to sustain a pace. See, you have to know how to survive your pace and your season. One day my life will slow down even more. With the passing of time, I'll be forced to run at a slower pace. I think that's great, and some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. But for now, I want to run the race that God has set out for me at a pace he has enabled me to run. You see, that, my friends, is where God's Sabbath comes in so beautifully. Now think of it this way. You and I are speeding down the highway of life, and every few miles we see a sign that says rest area ahead. So we have a choice. Do we stop for a much-needed break, or do we just keep on driving? I know that we have an important destination to get to, but isn't it wise to take a short break, maybe refuel? I hope and pray that through this series on the Sabbath, you're hearing God say to you that you need to build into your life regular breaks, and you need to enjoy those breaks. See, friends, you need regular rhythms that allow you to rest, recharge, and re-energize your life for the next step of the journey. If we drive too far, too fast, then we shouldn't be surprised if we have an accident or get pulled over in life. Sometimes God will actually force us to stop. Funny verse, in Exodus 23, we read some additional insights about God's Sabbath rest for his people. It says this, Plant and harvest your crops for six years, but to let the land be renewed and like uncultivated during the seventh year. Then let the poor among you harvest whatever grows on its own. Leave the rest for wild animals to eat. The same applies to your vineyards and olive groves. Exodus 23:10 to 11. So not only were the people of Israel called to take a rest every seven days, but also every seven years they were called to give the land a rest. Fun fact, did you know that the Israelites lived in the land for 490 years before they were taken away into captivity and discipline because of their sin? And did you know that they were never obeying the command to let the land rest at all, ever? So let's see, 490 divided by 7 equals 70 years. And that's the exact number of years they were in exile. That's right, God forcefully removed them from the land to let the land rest for 70 years. And that's no coincidence, my friends. Now, the very next verse in this passage gives us even more insight into Sabbath when it says, You have six days each week for your ordinary work, but on the seventh day you must stop working. This gives your ox and your donkey a chance to rest. It also allows your slaves and the foreigners living among you to be refreshed. Exodus 23, 12. Now, that's fascinating. Who gets refreshed on the Sabbath? Well, not just you. The animals, the servants, and the foreigners living among you as well. You see, the Sabbath is about an entire community that rests one day a week. In our modern Western culture, we're so individualistic and we only think about our needs. But in the biblical culture, the Eastern culture of that day, the emphasis was upon the entire nation and how it affected everybody. 
Those who own land were in control of the weekly schedule. And if you as a landowner declared a day of rest, then everybody, everyone, everything was included in the rest. See, God gave the Sabbath to a community. And as a community, they were to rest so that even the animals could get rest. Now, obviously, God didn't have cats in mind because that's all they do is rest. But think about it this way. There was no way the animals and the servants could observe the Sabbath without permission of the landowner. And if the farmer decided that it was a good day for plowing, his servants and animals had little choice but to obey him. Alien strangers living in the mixed, they were just as powerless, working as migrant laborers helping others. Now, according to this verse, the Sabbath and the refreshment of Sabbath was primarily intended for the ones who could not rest without the permission of others. My friends, when you build a rhythm of Sabbath rest into your weekly routine, then you're not only the one that benefits. When an entire community rests, everyone benefits. Today, I would like to share with you the rhythms of home and work that I have instituted for my life and for my family. For me, it comes down to recognizing the rhythms of my life and establishing healthy rhythms that I will ensure will sustain me in life and in the church ministry that God's given me. After all, life is not a sprint, but a marathon. In order to finish well, you have to find your pace. I have found this very difficult to do when you're in ministry as a pastor. Some of you may be your spiritual shepherds over others. You know, but if you do not figure this out, I know you'll burn out and you'll become bitter. One of my coaches said to me years ago, before God grows a church, he grows a leader. That means that my shoulders had to broaden to be able to handle more so that I could lead a growing church. And 15 years ago, I had a lot of growing up to do. I knew that if I didn't grow up, that the church would outgrow my ability to lead it in a healthy way. So I had to let God broaden my shoulders, put more weight upon them, and to quicken my pace. These days in ministry, I can run faster and endure more pressure. But I had to just to make sure that I was cut out for the job and that I found a pace that I could sustain. So let me share with you the rhythms of work and home that have helped me endure throughout the seasons. One, divert daily. Every day I get up at 5 a.m. and spend the time with God in Bible reading and prayer. Now, it is a sacrifice to go to bed at 9 p.m. It's difficult, but that's the only way I can get up at 5. You know, I'm not a morning person. Left to myself, I'd be up every night watching TV or playing on the computer or the iPad until midnight. But I have to daily discipline myself to go to bed. So when do you spend time with the Lord? I have found that if I don't make it the first thing for my day, then the speed of the day overtakes the ability to slow down and be with God. Now, every day, pretty much every day, our family has dinner together at the table, and we end our meal by reading a devotional or book. Right now, we've just begun Crazy Love by Francis Chan, and we are being challenged in our walk with God. Those are daily disciplines to divert daily. And then secondly, to withdraw weekly. Every week, I take a hard stop, and I take a Sabbath day. I mean, for many years, it was Friday, but now with our move to Sunday night services, you know, it's become Saturday. It's been great. I love it. Our staff loves it. So I shut off my phone. I don't check emails. I unplug so I can rest. Rest for me means running with my wife, working around the house, longboarding with the boys, taking a nap, hanging out with everybody. I've shared those things. Every week, though, my wife and I have a date night. That's a weekly withdrawal. We've been able to do this even with children. Thanks to the loving care of Heather Brown, who's watched our sons faithfully once a week for 17 years. You know, we just spend a few hours each week away investing solely in our relationship. It's kind of a checkup on the week and a look ahead at what's to come. This is face-to-face time with my wife, which is a major need in our lives. Now, this is when we give each other the veto power over the upcoming schedule and just check in to see how we're doing. 
During the school year, every week I take the boys out for Starbucks time and invest in their personal and spiritual lives. Every week our family enjoys Friday night family night. Every Friday we have a special dinner and do whatever the boys want to do. Usually it's pizza and a movie at home, but that's cool. We have a good time. When the weather's good, we go out and we have fun, but mostly we just stay together. Number three, measure monthly. Every month, I take a day with God. I get away and spend pretty much an entire day in prayer, reading scripture, writing, and simply reflecting on my relationship with God. This is where my mind and my spirit are free to have solitude and to think. Now, next week, we're going to finish this Sabbath series by talking just about this habit, so I'll talk more next time. And four, abandon annually. Every year, Mary Beth and I take a week together, just the two of us. It doesn't cost much. In fact, the cost of not doing it is far greater. My wife and I have amazing memories of adventures we've taken in life on these weeks. Our travel backpacks are filled with patches of all the places we visited, and we have just a storehouse of memories of the joys we've shared. Every year, our family visits uh, my in-laws, Maribeth's family, to reconnect with them for a week. Every year, our family goes camping or takes some kind of fun vacation with our pop-up trailer. Marybeth and I and our family work hard to not have that creeping separateness that shows up naturally in a marriage. I don't want to be the average husband who wraps his life around his work. She doesn't want to be the average wife that wraps her life around the kids. We don't want to have our children grow up and leave the home and then not know one another anymore. For me, these regular rhythms of Sabbath they have helped create margin, both in my work and in my family. And with that margin, I can find a healthy rhythm for my life, my family, my ministry. You know, every single day, you and I have decisions to make on how we're going to spend our time and our day. Our time is just like money. We'll never have enough to buy the things we want, and it's always finite. We all make daily decisions, though, that reveal our priorities. Now, let me illustrate this with a video I shot a couple years ago about rocks. Do you ever feel like you're just too busy during the day? I mean, you're busy at work, you're busy at home, busy getting your assignments done, uh, getting your projects done, or simply just busy returning all of the unreturned emails. Do you ever feel like you're so busy, but you're still falling behind in all that you need to do? Do you ever end up at the end of the day and you feel like you didn't really accomplish all that you wanted to accomplish or all you needed to accomplish in the day? You know, your head hits the pillow and you're exhausted, but you know the truth is you're going to end up doing the same thing tomorrow. Well, I believe there's a reason why we feel this way. And today I want to share with you a simple object lesson that is going to demonstrate to you why we feel the way we do. So this uh, jar right here represents our lives and all that we want to accomplish in a given day. Now, the way most people live their lives is they fill their day with things that are, uh, I'll be completely honest, they're time wasters. Things like uh, watching television, things like, uh, I don't know, needless meetings, endless emails, projects, activities, stuff that consume a whole lot of our time, checking Facebook status, browsing the web, all that other stuff. It completely adds no value to our life. And then there are the urgent things. And these are the things that just pop up all the time. And they really keep us busy. Whew. Things that uh, really just come in like <laughs> work emails, work phone calls, stuff that are really kind of needless, to be honest, school assignments, hobbies. I mean, these are really important, you know. They are, and they really press in and demand a lot of our time. Then you find uh, that you got to really get to work. I mean, these are the important things. This is the stuff that if you're not careful, this is going to get you in trouble. Schoolwork, homework, stuff at work, assignments. Man, you gotta, you got to do those, but you probably don't end up with a lot of time to do all those things. And if you're not careful, you make a mess. 
But then the reality is you got the big stuff, the vital things of life, things like your faith, your friendships, your family, um, your fitness. And the truth is you realize there's just not enough time to do all of the quality things that you want to do. There's just no room in our day to do all the things that are vital because we filled up our day with so many, dare I say, unimportant things, urgent things, time wasters, things that in the end of our lives are not really going to make a whole lot of difference for us. So here's what I want to do. I want to show you that with just a little bit of forethought, just a little bit of planning and a whole lot of discipline, you could fit all of these things into your day. Now, maybe you won't have enough time for the time wasters, but you will have enough time to do all that you should do. Let me show you. All right, here we go. This is a, a new jar, a new life, I might say. Same uh, exact elements, but what we're going to do is we're going to switch the order in what we do them in. So watch this. We start with the most vital things. Uh, we do the things like our faith, our family, our friendships, fitness, things like that. Me, uh, I get up early in the morning. I get up at 5, 5.30, and I, I'm not a morning person, but I have to discipline myself for that. And I spend an hour reading the Bible, praying, and then go for a run with my wife, half hour to an hour. I take my boys to school during the school year, and I spend some good quality time with them. Marybeth and I, we have a weekly date night. Uh, we spend together. We have... Uh, a lot of nights we eat dinner together and we have a little Bible study together. And then on Friday nights, it's really cool. We have what we've just dubbed Friday night family night where we let the boys decide what we're going to do. It's usually a pizza and a movie, but that's okay. So, you know, we do those things. And then we do uh, things. And truth is, I do a lot of things like this. Work things. Things of work. Things uh, that are important. Uh, sometimes, you know, truth is, life uh, hands you a lot assignments. I end up doing probably less than I would do normally because I put some things in there in the right order. Then I, I do the urgent things. Uh, I'm a pastor. I, I get calls all the time. I get phone calls for hospital visits. I get phone calls for visiting somebody maybe in jail. Um, things take priority. Uh, funerals. There's a lot of things that really just come in. But you know, the truth is, is that when all is said and done, I'm able to fit all those things into my life and you know every once in a while I have some time for time wasters I get to browse the web get to check people's Facebook status I am watching you by the way as your pastor I know what you say I know what you do now as you can see I can actually fit a whole lot more things when I learn to prioritize life I get some things in the right order the proper order but that's the key. You got to get them in the proper order. You got to put the, the big rocks in first. And you got to figure out what's most important to your life. Uh, I, I would like to ask you to do a simple assignment this week to take out a piece of paper and to write down four categories what's vital, what's important, what's urgent, what's a time waster. And as you put those down, begin to put the first things first. I think you can accomplish a whole lot more, but the truth is, you won't be able to get everything done. Because you're not just prioritizing your day, you're really reprioritizing your life. Because what good is having all the time to do the urgent things or those time wasters when the truth is you end up wasting your life? I mean, you end up saying no to some things, but I think you end up saying no to the right things. And you actually prioritize your life in a way that uh, puts first things first. 
Uh, these are the things that matter most, but you have to get them in the proper order. And I found when it goes well, it doesn't always go well. When you do this, you'd be surprised at how much better you feel and how much you actually accomplish in a given day. So if you remember a few weeks back, we talked about how pushing back on the crazy busy world in which you and I live is important to resist that return to slavery and making bricks. But you know, there is another kind of slavery that plays into this whole idea of Sabbath. If you've ever had the opportunity to travel to Israel and be there during the Sabbath day, you'll hear this phrase a lot, Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom, over and over again, you'll hear it. Now, Shabbat is Hebrew for Sabbath and Shalom is Hebrew for peace. But it's not just the absence of war kind of peace, it's true peace, the kind of Shalom that God intended it. So this Sabbath greeting of Shabbat Shalom literally means, may your day of no work be peaceful. People say this to one another over and over again, and the person's response is Shabbat Shalom. You should try it this week, Shabbat Shalom. When you consider it, God is not only the inventor of peace, but he himself is peace. He knows what true peace is all about. The Sabbath day of rest is not only about physical rest, but spiritual rest. My friends, you can rest in the God who gives ultimate peace. Spiritually speaking, we're all born into a life of slavery. Not a physical slavery, but a spiritual slavery. We're told over and over again throughout the Bible that we're all born as slaves to sin. We are held in bondage to do the works of sin and face the punishment that sin serves out. We're trapped. But that's where Jesus comes in. He said it so well in Matthew 11:28 to 30, where he called out to the crowds of people who were in spiritual bondage to the rules of their religion and said this, are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me, get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Matthew 11, 28 to 30. Now, I love this passage because Jesus gets to the heart of all of our spiritual striving. Because we'll never rest if we leave our spiritual lives up to us. Only Jesus can give us true rest. When Jesus gives us this rest, we come to him and turn from trying to lead our lives our own way. See, when the Bible tells us we're all born as slaves to sin, that means we can't stop working and rest. We work our fingers to the bone and our souls to exhaustion, striving to find rest that really only Jesus gives us. We don't earn it, but we can receive it. The true Sabbath rest, or our Shabbat Shalom, is only found when we come to Jesus and let him take all of our sin burdens. When we submit our lives to his leadership, he gives us Shabbat Shalom, spiritual rest. When you put your complete trust in what he has already done for you, then you can put your faith in the fact that Jesus went to the cross, took your place, he died for you, he took the punishment for your sin, and he paid the price for your freedom. Friends, when you come to Jesus, you can be free from your guilt, free from the fear of punishment, free from the fear of death. When you do this and enter into his rest and rest in what he's already done for you, you experience true Shabbat Shalom. There's this great and mysterious passage about this Sabbath rest in Hebrews 4, 9 to 10. It says this, There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from his own work, just as God did from his. Hebrews 4, 9 to 10. See, this is what true Sabbath rest is all about. Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath, and he came to give you rest. Some of you need to rest from trying to earn your way to God. 
I have good news for you. You, you can just give up trying because it can't be done. No amount of your own effort can ever move you into a relationship with God. A relationship with God only comes through Jesus, and he gives it away to all who come to him freely as a gift of new life. Others of you have already had a relationship with God through Jesus, but maybe you've slipped back into work mode and you're seeing your relationship with God only through the lens of what you do for God. I've got good news for you too. You can stop striving to earn your keep. You can't do it. Jesus has done all of the work for you. See, I used to believe that I could earn my way to God through my good behavior. As a young boy, a young man, I tried very hard to be good. My idea of good consisted of hard work, of not being, you know, a bad person, to be nice, don't drink, don't smoke, don't hang out with bad people. Just I had a list of don't things, you know, don't lie, all that stuff. Basically, some I believe that by doing good things for God and staying away from bad things, I could earn my way into his favor. It was exhausting. My real rest came in December of 1979 when I first realized that the system I created to save myself from my sins wasn't working. That's when Jesus became my Sabbath rest and I entered into it. That's when I stopped striving so hard for my salvation and put my trust in what Jesus had already done. So what about you? Are you afraid that if you stop all your Christian activity that you wouldn't have anything else to do to impress God? Well, then it's time to realize that you can't impress God anyway. You can't do anything to earn his grace. You can just stop. Stop your striving and come to him for spiritual rest. But some of you here in the room, you've never experienced that rest. Some of you need it. Some of you are weighed down. Some of you are burdened. Some of you are carrying a heavy weight. And although you might get a physical rest, a nap every once in a while, spiritually speaking, you've worn yourself out. Why don't you come to Jesus today? He invites you to come to him, all who are weak, all who are weary laden, all who have spiritual burdens, and come to him and find rest. He will put upon you a leadership over your life that will change you for now and eternity. And so I want to pray, and I want to invite you to enter into that rest. Would you bow your heads, close your eyes, and open up your heart to Jesus? Father, I want to thank you for being a great God. You're a God who loves us, who God has given us this call in our lives to know you. But our sins, our burdens, our dysfunctions, our failures have blocked all of that from truly happening. And even though we may want to connect with you, we are shut off at the core. But you have given us your son, Jesus Christ, who has done all of the work for us. He has done all of the striving on the cross, carrying the weight of all of our sin. Our guilt, our punishment, our shame was put all on Jesus. And that means that we can now come to you by faith in Jesus and receive that Shabbat Shalom, that Sabbath rest. And so for those in the room here, God, who need to do that, I pray they would speak to you and say words that reminisce with your heart along these lines. Dear God, thank you for loving me in spite of my waywardness, my sin, my dysfunction, my rebellion. I've worn myself out. I've run away from you. I've tried to fix things and repair things, but I've come up empty. Thank you for loving me still. Thank you for giving me Jesus who died on the cross for my sins. So today I come and put my trust in that, that Jesus died for me. And I receive the message and believe it in my heart. And now I confess it with my mouth that he is my Lord. Thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit that comes inside of me. And as your Holy Spirit moves in me, he will change me and cause me to discover the joy of my rest. 
Father, may I be an example to others of Shabbat Shalom as I walk this world, even this week. May what you've done in my heart not just change me, but my family, my work, my school, my neighbors. May your light not just come into my heart, but emanate from my heart to others. May I live a life of Shabbat Shalom that provides Shabbat Shalom to the entire community around me. Teach me what it means to know you each and every day and to continue to put you first in my life and experience your rest. I pray this all in the name of Jesus. Amen.